Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us, that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And so welcome to 2015. It is amazing how each year just keeps progressing. You know, it's, uh, as we look back, it's just incredible. 2015. And uh, yet, who knows how many more years we have to go. In our own lives, in terms of Messiah's coming, but we want to be prepared for that day because it could be at any hour, any moment. Messiah can come and call us to be with himself. As we embark on 2015, of course, we look in the past and we see where we've come from. And Beth Ariel has come through some very challenging moments in 2014. But we look forward to what God is going to do in 2015. And so there's amazing transition that's to take place. Amazing transition with regard to location, because we may be headed up the road. There'll be transition in terms of our ministry. We want to get more connected to one another and be involved in, our, in one another's lives more, uh, more closely, so that we're not just here on Saturdays and then we sort of go off in our, our own ways. That will be a new thing. There's a lot of newer people here than we've had. So there are ministries that we need to learn about and that we need to take on and that we need to get involved with. There are new ways of doing old ministries, new ministries to do in whatever ways God leads us to do them. So it's sort of a very interesting journey we're about to embark on in 2015. I say about to embark on, we've already embarked on it, right? We're already here. And so we're moving forward as the Lord leads. As has always been my... Uh, custom. Whenever I was speaking on the first weekend, the first Saturday or Sunday, if I was preaching on a Sunday, uh, in the new year, I like to draw our attention to Romans 1.16. And I realize that here at Beth Ariel, we've probably heard, I don't know, hundreds of references to this passage, maybe thousands of references, maybe hundreds of messages from Romans 1.16. But I think it's important on a number of fronts. So let me read these verses to you, and then we'll reflect on them together. In verse 16, let's go back to verse 14. Paul first says, I am obligated. I am a debtor. That's what it means to be obligated. I am a debtor, both to Greeks, Gentiles, non-Greeks, Jews, both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I am so eager to proclaim the good news Preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just will live by faith. These are some of the most critical passages. You know, if you're to pick out two critical passages in the Bible, this has to rank up there in the top five, maybe top ten, top five passages in the scripture. Because in these two verses, we have the entirety, really, of the major themes of what the Bible is all about, what God's revelation is to us. Now, I realize that for you and I who are involved in a messianic ministry, a ministry among the Jewish people, that phrase to the Jew first and also to the Greek looms large in our consciousness. And unfortunately for many of us, some of these other things that are found in this verse sort of recede into the background behind that phrase. That phrase is critical, don't get me wrong, but there are statements made prior to that phrase that are just as or perhaps even more critical than that final phrase. Now, as I say that, even as an individual who's raised in a Jewish home, as an individual who's been involved for 17 years in a Jewish mission organization, and now involved for the last four years in a Messianic congregation. So let me start at that end first. When Paul says, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile, he doesn't mean to suggest something of a chronological nature. He's not telling us that the gospel needs to go to the Jewish people before it can go to anyone else. Although certainly that is what had occurred historically. But that's not what Paul is talking about. While it may be true, That when God made himself known to humanity, he preeminently made himself known to Abraham and his descendants. And in doing so, called out a people unto himself and through that people made himself known with the intention of making himself to the rest of the world. Israel was made a nation, a family made into tribes and from those tribes into a nation and then given a land in what we might refer to as the center of the earth. And as it is located, the land of Israel in the Middle East, as individuals would move through that region, they were to see God reflected in the lives of the people he chose for himself. They were to see them in worship in the place that God would set his name on Mount Moriah. They would see worship in a a prescribed, a particularly prescribed manner that was unique from all the other nations in the world as written out in the Mosaic Law. There were various laws and instructions which were to distinguish this people from all other peoples so that individuals would see them as unique among all the nations of the earth, unique in their character, unique in their worship, Unique in their traditions, unique in their values, unique in their history, unique in their God, and unique in the experiences that God brought into their lives and the encounters they had with him. 
All of that was to be on display in the center of the earth so that as the nations who were scattered, as they moved through this region, they would see a people unique among all peoples. That is certainly true. It is also true that when Messiah came, he gave his initial marching orders in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples to go among the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he was very specific in chapter 10 because he says, do not go to the Gentiles. He says, do not go to the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 28, it is there that he gives the marching orders to the 12, or at least at that point, the 11 disciples. Those to whom he had earlier said, only go to Israel. Now he says, go unto all the nations and teach them all things that I have taught you. When Yeshua leaves his disciples in Acts chapter 1, He said, you, and we recited here each week, you are to be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea, the Jewish people, and then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. When one reads through the book of Acts, you will find that at each and every turn of Paul's ministry, the first place he goes is the synagogue. The first place he goes is to find those Jews to whom he would proclaim the message of Messiah's coming. If they were not in a synagogue, he would find out where they were, such as the women who were worshiping at a riverside in Philippi. No synagogue, but there they were by a river, worshiping, praying. Paul sought them out. To be sure, he did practice chronologically providing the gospel message to the Jewish people chronologically first. But that's not Paul's point in Romans 1.16. That, that was his actions. That was Yeshua's actions. That was, we could say, God's actions in calling out a people unto himself and those whom he called were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was after Messiah comes that the opportunity unfolds in greater measure to the ends of the earth. There were those Gentiles prior to Messiah's coming that learned of Israel and received him. Individual, for example, like Ruth comes to mind initially. But they were sort of the exception, not the norm. But when Paul says in Romans 1.16, his point is not that we need now to be chronologically in step and that we cannot share our faith with anyone else until we share with the Jewish people. That's not what he means. But what he does mean is there is a preeminent, a priority of relationship of the gospel to the Jewish people. He uses the Greek word proton, which doesn't merely mean first in order of something else. But it means first with respect to its importance to other things. So that in Romans 1.16, what he is essentially saying is... The good news, about which we will talk in a moment, the good news, he says, the gospel, that's an old English sort of expression for the Greek word evangelium, good news. He's saying in Romans 1.16 that its truths, its themes, its content, 
its message is preeminently a message for the Jewish people. Put it another way. If the gospel is not a message for the Jews, it is not a message for anyone. Because if it isn't relevant to the Jewish people, I don't mean in how we express it, but with regard to its truths. If it isn't a Jewish message, if it isn't a Jewish gospel, then it is no gospel whatsoever. Because the gospel is about the Jewish Messiah. And once he comes into our world, we cannot no longer separate his Jewish reality from his humanity. He didn't just merely appear as a human being. He appeared as a particular kind of human being. He appeared as a Jewish human being. Now, to some, they may say that's not necessary, but it is all important because the prophets tell us he had to be a descendant of Abraham. He couldn't have been a descendant of some other people. He had to come from Abraham, and that necessitated that he would come from the Jewish people. He couldn't come from Ishmael, although Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham. He had to also come from Abraham and his son Isaac. And therefore, he had to be the Jewish Messiah. He couldn't just come from Abraham and Isaac. He had to come from Jacob. Couldn't come from Esau. If he did, he wouldn't be the Messiah about whom the scriptures speak. And so what Paul is trying to draw the attention of the Roman believers to is the preeminence and importance of the Jewish connection between their faith and the one they have faith in. Now you ask, why would he be concerned by that? Well, all you have to do is read further in the book of Romans to see why he was concerned. Because when you get to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11... He reveals to us that the Gentile believers in Rome were prideful over the Jewish believers who were also in Rome. And there was a bit of a conflict that was present. How deep was it? We don't really know. But there was some kind of a conflict, some kind of a disharmony of sorts. And so Paul wants to make clear that the Gentile believers ought not to be arrogant. He uses that word over the Jewish believers in the congregation. For he says the Jewish believers are the natural branches. The Gentiles are the unnatural branches. And if the natural branches were lopped off because of their rejection of Messiah, though not all natural branches were lopped off, because Paul, as a natural branch, was one who was flourishing in God's tree of blessing, or olive tree of blessing, we might say. But while the nation as a whole seemed to be cut off, Paul then turns around and he says, So therefore the Gentile believers should not boast. Because if the natural branches could be lopped off, is the expression, how much easier it is to lop off branches that have been grafted in and are not natural to the vine. All of this is to say that Paul's point in Romans 1.16 is that the good news is preeminently a Jewish message. And if it's not a Jewish message, it can't be a message for anyone. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, he can't be the Gentiles' Messiah. He must first and foremost be a Messiah for his people if he's to be a Messiah for all peoples. 
But in the 21st century, you see, most of our churches don't think this way. Most of our congregations don't have that sort of concern as Paul had it. Most of them just think of Messiah as sort of a ethereal, spiritual, mystical figure that when we go before him, we can be spared all of our sin without any kind of historical context as to who he is and why it is so critical of what he's accomplished. I think it's amazing that right here at the front end of the book of Romans, when Paul talks about some very critical themes, where he talks about the power of God, talks about the gospel, talks about salvation, talks about righteousness. You know, that word is used some 60 times in the book of Romans, the righteousness of God. That's the theme of the book of Romans, the righteousness of God. And yet he could have ended it there. He could have just said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation for the salvation of everyone who believes. But then he adds this phrase to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jewish person preeminently, Jewish person or the Jewish people of, of critical relevance. Because if that connection is lost, well then there's no hope for anyone. And that's what Paul wants to get across and he takes three chapters in the heart of the book of Romans to explain this importance. Now, we don't have time to go there, but what I do want us to look at are these critical elements to the good news. And I want us to know these critical elements because while we as a Messianic congregation may be very much concerned that the message goes out to the Jewish people, not to the exclusion of non-Jewish people, obviously, we have both here at Beth Ariel, but it's important that we understand the message because we have an obligation to make sure it is presented. So look at what Paul says. If I can just share some things very quickly. Verse 14, look at this. He says, I am obligated. You know, we talk about 2015 and what uh, would we uh, prioritize in our lives. As Dan was sharing, I've started again a year reading through the Bible in a year. It's like, you know, I'll get through a few days and I'll say, I'll pick it up tomorrow. And before long, I've got to sit there for a day to catch up on all the chapters that I haven't read. And then I just give up, you know? So now I'm trying again. And, you know, right at my bedside, I've got this, this uh, uh, table talks from R.C. Sprawl. He's got the every day. And so I'm trying to get up. And before I even get out of bed, I'm just reaching for the thing. And I'm just figuring if I just read it before I do anything else, maybe I'll, I'll make it this time. But I'm going to try again. I keep trying. Sometimes I've made it. Most times I haven't. So we might talk about that or losing weight every year. That comes up a high on my list. And you're absolutely right. And other kinds of things. But what I'd like to think about this year, and maybe you'd like to do the same, is to think about what it means to be a debtor. Paul said he had an obligation. We generally think of the sharing of our faith as something we might do if given the opportunity. But Paul said, no, 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 that's not how he felt about it. He felt that he had a debt to the world. Jews and non-Jews. He had a debt to pay because of what he had received. And I think the thing that really motivated Paul was right here. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. I have a need that I must 
fulfill. That God has tasked me with. And so he says, I am obligated to both Jews and non-Jews, Greeks and non-Greeks, to everyone, wise and the foolish. And that is why he says he's eager to proclaim the good news. Maybe one of the reasons we are not eager to proclaim the good news is because we just don't feel the obligation that is really upon us. Messiah told us at the end, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. Those are our marching orders, is to make him known, to teach his teachings, to reveal who he is to the best of our ability. And so when he says this, I have a debt, I am obligated, I have a responsibility, and therefore I am motivated to do this, he then tells us in verse 16, And this is also kind of cool because he says, For I am not ashamed of the good news. I mean, that's a big question. Because I have to tell you, sometimes I feel like embarrassed. Dare I say it, ashamed to share the good news? Sometimes I do feel embarrassed. You know, you're online paying something and conversation may steer toward spiritual things. And I think twice before I'm ready to just say, hey, let me tell you about the Lord. I don't want them to think I'm really, you know, like a religious nut. I don't want them to think that, you know, I I don't have my feet on the ground and that I'm not normal. You know, although if they knew me well, that wouldn't have to be, that wouldn't be a problem. I couldn't hide that. But we all go through that, don't we? It's not just me. We all feel like there are moments when an opportunity presents itself, but it's sort of embarrassing. You know, Josh, who heads up the Los Angeles branch of Jews for Jesus, who's a part of our leadership team here at Beth Ariel, he was telling me that they were going to be going out, handing out some tracts during the parade over in Chatsworth. And of course, I sa- you know, Josh is telling me, and I said, I'll go, Josh, you know, I'll go. I was hoping he'd say, no, 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 I got plenty of people. I don't, I don't need you, but I'll go, you know. And he said, well, meet me here like around 10 o'clock, you know. So I met him here, and uh, me, Stan, and Josh met. And I thought, okay, we're going to get in the truck. Well, then he handed me a, a sweatshirt. I forgot about the shirts. And he handed me a, a sweatshirt that really was very much like ugly Christmas shirts, you know, like all kind of craziness. Well, it had all these colors and greens and reds, and it was like... If anyone saw me with this, first of all, if they knew me, they'd say, Gary, you okay? And it's like, you can't hide. You know, it's there. And it just wasn't designed, but it said, I forget what it exactly said, but it said, you know, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And I'm thinking, I'm willing to hand out tracts, but do I have to be a billboard for this thing? You know? And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll put it on. And they said, hey, let's go get breakfast before we go. I said, do I have to wear this into the, into the breakfast place? Well, they took theirs off. So I said, oh, I'm not gonna, I didn't have to say anything. They took theirs off. I'm just following them. And so I was very relaxed then. But then we got out. We're putting this on. And then we're down the streets. People are lining both sides. And Josh says, okay, here's your, here's your pouch, you know. And I've got all the tracks. I remember from years and years ago. Everyone gets one. No one gets left out, you know. And in Wall Street at 12 o'clock, you're handing out a million tracks. I mean, it's just people all over the place, you know. Here was a lot tamer. <laughs> you know, it was a lot tamer. So they 
you look them in the eye. You know, it's not like everyone gets one. No one gets, you know. But here you say, hi, would you like one? Would you, you know. And so we're walking down the street. I've got the pouch on. I've got my shirt, you know. I said, okay, Lord, help me. You know, after the first five steps, I was okay. It was just that first step, that first person. You know, would you like to reassure? Let me have one. Okay. Would you like, would you? And before long, you know, I emptied out my pants. I just walked up the thing. I was emptied. And I wish I could have taken my sweatshirt off, put it in there, and we would have been great. But we all feel like that. And that's not to say everybody has to do that. You know, I understand. But I was so glad to do it. I was so glad that I had a chance to just tell people about Messiah. Even if it's a little thing. Something to read for the Christmas holidays about the Jewish Messiah who was born today. Very cute track, too. And so we just passed them out, you know. But there was that twinge to get started. But Paul says, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So maybe one of the reasons we don't share is because we really have that feeling of weirdness. Call it shame or whatever. That certainly was my experience. We got over it, you know. Maybe it's because we don't feel a sense of indebtedness. We have an obligation, which we do. And maybe that's why we're not eager. But maybe it's also because we don't really understand the message well. You know, he says that we're obligated. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is good news. You know, friends call me or individuals call me up. They say, hey, you're going to watch the game this weekend? I said, yeah, man. Dallas is in the playoffs. No one picked them. And they have just a great... I'm a Dallas fan, if you couldn't tell. And it stems from when I... In the early 60s, when Bob Hayes won the gold medal in the Olympics. And after he won the gold medal in the 100-yard dash, or whatever it was, 100 meters, he was drafted by the Cowboys, and ever since, I've been a Cowboy fan. Through thick and thin. Sorry, Rosie, sorry. Even though I was raised in Jersey, and all my friends said, you kidding me, the Giants, you know? Or here in L.A., the Rams, but, you know, here they are getting ready to play. And so as I was talking to them, they say, hey, you want to come over? You want to hear, watch these guys play? You know, it's like, this is good news for, for me. <laughs> yeah, this is good news. And so here Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed because, just like I was ready to tell you about the Cowboys, <laughs> you know, I'm not ashamed because this is good news. This is exciting stuff. You could really be forgiven of your sin. You could really have answers to some of the eternal questions that are on your mind. You really can find fellowship with people who really love you because the, work, the love of God is shed abroad in their hearts. I mean, you really can now find meaning, purpose. You can have a sense of what am I going to do with my kids? How am I going to give them a sense of responsibility and, and love and meaning and so on in their lives? This is great news. In fact, Paul says it is so great because it's a demonstration of God's power. The Greek word here, dunamis, we get the word dynamite from, but he doesn't mean to say it's explosive. He means to say it's dynamic. He means to say it can produce critical changes in the world, in our lives, and in our relationships. You know, when we think about the power of God, We think about that in the beginning, God, by a word, said, let there be, and it was. That's a manifestation of the power of God. We think about Messiah coming and saying, Lazarus, come forth. 
and he comes forth. It is the power of God. We see the Lord on the cross and at his resurrection. And as he rises from the dead, it says that other graves in Jerusalem opened up and the dead came to life. The power of God to impact the dead and to raise them to life. The power of God to take you and I who are dead in trespasses and sin and make us alive unto him. We are alive to God. We feel like we're just going through day by day, moment by moment. But we have experienced the power and might of God to enliven us unto himself. So Paul says, look, I am not ashamed of this. And I am eager to share it. And I have an obligation to present it. And what is it? This is such great news because God's power is at your fingertips. A power, he tells us, to save. It's the power of God unto salvation. And he doesn't just mean save by transforming us from this life into the next. I think I've said many times, Billy Graham, years and years ago, I remember him saying that if evangelism was the simply bringing of people from this world into the next world, God would have armed every evangelist with a gun. And when they came forward, get ready. (laughs) But that's not what salvation only is. To be sure, one day we will be with him in eternity, forever. But God's salvation reaches down to us presently to save us, to deliver us, to transform us, to change us. That's the powerful work of God in salvation. Sometimes he manifests his power in salvation by healing us of multiple or whatever kinds of diseases. Some of us have experienced that here. Some of us have had people, we come forward, someone lays their hands and they pray for someone and they experience something in that moment and they know God has met them. Sometimes it's resulted in a physical change. Sometimes it's resulted in an emotional change. Sometimes it's resulted in a relational change. Sometimes it's just brought hope into the person's life. It could be all those kinds of things, and all of them are critical depending on what the individual is experiencing. But in the final analysis, it's the salvation of God. And he tells us, because in this, the righteousness of God is made known. And that's Paul's key theme in the book of Romans, the righteousness of God. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's another way of saying, without righteousness, no one will see the Lord. Well, what kind of righteousness? There's only one kind of righteousness. There may be a righteousness that you and I might see as being righteous, but from God's perspective, there's only one kind of righteousness. And that's the righteousness that defines and describes him. That's the only kind of righteousness that will enable us to stand before God. It's the righteousness of God. It is not something you can earn. It is not something you can develop. It is only something you can receive by the grace of God who imparts it to us. And so Paul tells us in Corinthians 
that not many mighty were called, not many wise were called. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chose those things that were not, is the expression he uses, to mystify and confound those who are something. The point is God in his mercy reaches all kinds of people, but it's always by his mercy and it's always by his grace. So in the final analysis, Paul is telling us that this message is the message of the good news. And what is the content of that message? It is that the Messiah of whom the prophets have spoken have come. If it isn't that Messiah, he can be no one's Messiah. He must be the Jewish Messiah spoken of by the prophets. That's what Paul said. And because that one has come, and that one has laid down his life, and that one has risen from the dead, and that one has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that one is coming again to reign to fulfill all that the prophets had to say, He hasn't fulfilled all that the prophets had to say about Messiah's coming, but he has fulfilled all that the prophets said about his redemptive ministry and coming. But that is the message we're to convey. The gospel. Having a relationship with God is not merely about applying principles to our lives that make us better people. It's about the intervention of of the almighty God who by his power takes individuals who are dead makes us alive to him and day by day he activates his power in our lives that we might follow him and walk in his ways in 2015 I'd really like for our congregation to grasp hold of these passages I'd like us to make a matter of prayer and priority that we would come to see ourselves as having an obligation to the world, Jew and Gentile alike, to share our faith. I would like us to have a sense of because of this obligation, we are eager, we're ready to go. How can we make our faith known more effectively? I would like us to pray and to beseech the Lord that we might understand the message more and understand it not just academically, but experientially as we allow God to take hold of our lives. I want us to pray that we would, that God would work in our lives that we'd be less ashamed than we might otherwise be. We don't want to be weird, but we don't want to be ashamed of the good news either. And we want to be ready to proclaim it, share it, and encourage others to embrace it. And we want to understand and experience the power of God in salvation, in restoration, in reconciliation, in all of its facets to us personally, also to us collectively, and to the community that we have a responsibility to reach. And then lastly, I'd like us to pray, this is right from these verses, that the righteousness of God would be received fully and experienced in our lives. That we'd be loving and kind to one another. That we'd be sensitive to each other. That we would look for those that have needs and attempt to meet them as best we can. Can't meet all needs, but we can try to meet some of our needs. 
So let me just read this one more time. Paul says, I am obligated. Let me read it this way. We are obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. That is why we are to be eager to proclaim the great news to everyone we can. For we are not ashamed of this great news because this great message And not just message, but this historical reality, what God has done through Messiah, is the very dynamic manifestation of God's power. And it is a power that will work to bring salvation for all who trust in him. We can't earn this thing, but we can trust him and allow him to work in our lives. This is a message that is preeminently a Jewish one. And so therefore, we can express its Jewishness by being mindful of making sure that we bring that message to the Jews. That's why Beth Ariel, that's why we exist. But not exclusively so, for it is also meant to transform the lives of non-Jews as well. For in this great news, the righteousness of God is made known to us. It is a righteousness that can only be received and experienced by faith. Because as Habakkuk has written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are grateful for this day. We are thankful for your word. And we have an incredible challenge before us. And we have the beginnings of 2015. None of us knows how much time we have in this year or what experiences will befall us. But with whatever time you have given to us and with whatever experiences you will allow to come into our lives, may we be ones who are not ashamed of the good news. There may be many things about which we ought to be ashamed, but we should never be ashamed of our Messiah and what he has done for us. So help us, Lord, to proclaim and to manifest this power unto salvation before others. Help us, Lord, to be creative in the ways in which we would make you known. Because not every way fits every personality or every person's ability. Help us in this coming year, Lord, to be proclaimers of your truths. Ones that help others to walk in your ways. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We give you all honor, praise, and glory. For you alone are worthy. We pray in Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.